how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. As an actress, Justine Bateman is best known for her early television role as Mallory Keaton on Family Ties, but she's also starred in Lois and Clark, Men Behaving Badly, Still Standing, Desperate Housewives, and Arrested Development alongside her brother, Jason Bateman. But since the age of 19, she's wanted to be a director. After graduating from UCLA a few years ago, she made two shorts, Five Minutes and Push, before raising the money to make Violet. Her debut film stars Olivia Munn and Luke Bracey, where Justin Thoreau guest stars as The Voice. The plot reads, Violet realizes that her entire life is built on fear-based decisions and must do everything differently to become her true self. In this interview, Bateman talks about directing as a visual collage, how she created an in-depth character piece, why the viewer is actually the most important character, and how her stories bake over time. I've been writing since I was a kid, you know, short stories and poems and stuff like that. And then I think when it was, I guess it was like in the early 2000s, I started writing scripts and I just kind of would save them and put them away in my, in my computer. Um, and then about 2007, 2008, where did, when digital media started exploding, um, then I started, I was writing and producing um, things in the digital space. Um, and then I went to UCLA and got a computer science and digital media management degree and thought I was going to go in that direction specifically, like as an executive. Um, and then I, um, and then when I graduated, I'd wanted to direct since I was 19, but the timing never felt right. And, um, when I graduated at 50, I felt the timing, uh, kind of, Again, and I was like, "Oh, great!" So I, I did the, you know, shot the two shorts, and then raised the money to shoot Violet, and shot Violet, and uh, yeah, I have a ton of scripts in my. Um, I mean, my my natural state creatively, you know, since I was a kid, is writing and making collages, and so directing for me is making a collage. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more I can know about the ingredients I can use, you know, what I can do in post, what kind of lenses I can use it while I'm shooting. And um, yeah, that, that helps that kind of, that's the material I can use in making this visual collage. How do you think about um, some of these visual aspects in terms of your pitch? Cause you've got a character, sort of an internal monologue, a third party voice, there's writing on the screen. Like how is that kind of, um, written on the page and how does that come out in your pitch and everything? Um, yeah, in the script, I just had the voice, um, the voice and the red tint when she, when she numbs out. I mean, basically I wanted this, this film to be an, uh, an immersive experience for the viewer, that the viewer is the most important character in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want them to just watch it objectively. And so that's why I put those audio and visual elements in like that. The handwriting was not in the original script. I got to the, you know, the end of the edit and realized that I didn't, I didn't have a particular component for the viewer, which was this like desperate need to get out of the situation you know, for Violet. And, and then I, um, I didn't know how I was gonna do that. And then I realized like, oh, I'll just, I'll just write it on the screen. I'll just, you know, I, and you know, the, uh, collages that I'd done in my past where I'd written on, you know, photographs and, and painting and stuff. And then um, the work of uh, Peter Beard, all his collage work. And then Ed Templeton is another writer who, our um, uh, artist who writes on his photographs and stuff. And so that seemed like the natural choice. And then I added that in, I didn't know if it would work and it created this pressure cooker. I increased, I only had half of what the, the voice says in the original script but I knew I needed to keep the pressure on more consistently in the film. So I you know, had more recordings from Justin and then the writing with that pushing down on Olivia's performance and then the writing kind of pushing up, it created this pressure cooker on her performance. It was, it was a Kuleshov effect, you know, where you're, you're implying something is happening because of the juxtaposition of shots when really I think, isn't there a famous quote of uh, like Greta Garbo at the end of some film, she's looking off in the distance on the bow of a ship or something. And and the interpretation of what she's thinking is like, oh, I know she must be thinking this and that. And we fill it in, you know, just like when we are watching performance art, we'll fill everything in, right? And, and in fact, the direction was just think of nothing. Mm. So it's interesting what we, what we place on uh, what the characters uh, are, are, you know, we, it's, it's great. You go like, oh, I know what they must be thinking, you know? And of course I'm, I'm helping that by saying, this is what she's thinking right now with the handwriting. We have a unique moment too, not, not to give things away, but when in the moments where that voice is a little more quiet, you can play with the silence and it, it's, it's almost like more powerful that there's nothing there. Um, tell me about the decision to use Justin Thoreau and like, why is this a masculine voice? What are some of those ideas behind that? Sure. Um, well, uh, I mean, this this script started, uh, well, the script came out of uh, research in my own personal life. Uh, you know, years ago, I made many fear-based decisions and I wasn't being myself. And I, once I... Once I discovered how to get on the other side of that, because I didn't even know you could, I thought maybe you were just this type of person or that type of person. And once I realized I could, um, uh, I wanted to share 
I wanted, this is basically the film I wish I could have seen at 19. And one of the, so that I would have become myself faster than I did. And one of the things that was a, um, made a big difference for me is when I, I started to think about these thoughts objectively, instead of them, instead of saying, oh, okay, well, this is me, I'm thinking these things and therefore there must, they must be true. Mm-hmm. I started saying, well, what if somebody else was saying this to me? What if you were saying, you know, the example I use is don't wear that shirt to the party or no one's going to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So if you said that to me, I would, I would, I would question it a bit. I would say, why did you know, is there a dress code or something? I didn't see the invitation, you know? So that helped me so much to look at those thoughts objectively and see that they're lies that I wanted to give that to the audience. I wanted to make the voice as different from Olivia as possible, change the gender, change the tone, change the, hopefully people see this in theaters and they can experience this too, change the location um, that the voice, uh, location of the speakers, the voice is, is being emitted from, um, make that a different place than the rest of the actors, things like that to, to, and hopefully then they'll be able to see their own negative thoughts, be able to look at their own negative thoughts objectively. Like imagine just as an experiment, somebody else is saying it to you. Maybe it's more obvious that it's a lie. As like a character piece, would you say this is an extreme example or would you say that everyone has a version of this and it kind of changes throughout your lifetime in terms of that like negative self-talk? Um, yeah, I would, I would say that. I mean, certainly there are people like Lila who are unicorns and never hear it or when they do hear it, they dismiss it. And hopefully everybody could get to that point. Um, I believe this is, you know, there are many ways to get to that point. I, I, in my experience, this way works, you know, that, that um, uh, Violet goes through herself where you do the opposite of what it's telling you. That'll probably put you on the right track. Um, and then just looking at um, what are the, what are the um, uh, irrational thoughts that are serving as an anchor for that fear? like at the end she goes through you know sort of the links in the chain and then what would happen and then what would happen and then what would happen and then you'll die and you realize like (laughs) wow am I not changing my shirt am I changing my shirt to go to the party because irrationally my system thinks I'm going to die right I mean I know it sounds silly but I have found that those those are the anchors for these kinds of uh, fear-based decisions and unless I say it out loud or write it down um they don't, they don't go away. They don't get, you know, in saying it out loud or writing it down, kind of, I'm kind of exposing it to the elements and it can start to disintegrate. But without that, they'll just stay there and keep running the show, in my experience. So it's kind of a character piece. Uh, we find out some of this came from her mother. Do you think it led her to other people that, that also abused her, like especially the, the boss, Tom? Like, did it leave her in that, move her in that direction? Like, how do you think about some of those decisions she made based on her childhood and everything? I don't know. That's an interesting question. Do people, um, uh, are you saying like, are, are people drawn to those, to people who are similar to those who were mean to them early in life? Like, yeah, there's like, like she, about that? She, she finds more abusers possibly or something. Cause that, cause you really, that one scene where it was an interesting choice. So I want to ask you about that she's kind of excited for a moment in this pitch meeting and we're only focusing on Tom. And that's really when we feel like the camera is something different than it's been the whole time. Cause it's not on Olivia Munn's character, but I'm curious if like how you thought about that scene and maybe how she 
got stuck in a similar relationship with this with this boss of hers? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about like, do p- are people drawn to? I mean, I'm, there's a film familiarity to it for sure, right? Um, and maybe there's a, I haven't thought about a lot about that, but maybe there's like a hope that this time you can fix it. Right. This time you can change it. This time I can get mommy to love me or whatever it is, you know? Um, maybe that's what's going on for people. And, but also I think there are just people like this in one's life. There, you know, the Tom Gaines character represents that person or people in our lives that, that say the same negative thoughts, like the, the same negative thoughts that we have come out of their mouths to us. I have this experience on Twitter all the time. <laughs> if someone wants to try and bang on me, it's really interesting to see that they say exactly the same thing that my own negative thoughts have said to me. And it's like, oh, are you tuned into the same radio station? It's very curious. But no, because I know that that the negative thought that I'm having is a lie, I know that the negative thought they've just said is a lie too. Mm. And they're going through some dis feeling of discomfort that caused them to grab hold of that and use it, try to use it as a weapon, you know what I mean? To make themselves feel differently. And that's what's going on with, with Tom Gaines. Like that's that scene you mentioned in the office where we're just focused on him can see he's so hurt and so put off that, that they're not going to focus on, on the casting right now that he, when he closes that, that laptop, Tom is so feels so sad and small and humiliated and upset and 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 unloved that and then he he feels that and feels that and doesn't want to feel that anymore and then comes out with this you know to try and not feel that way anymore and violet does it in the um parking lot she doesn't want to feel what she's feeling and so you want to turn around and attack someone else so your um your you want to distract from you know mm-hmm want to create a new problem so that nobody can see that you're having a problem. That's interesting. So what you're kind of saying is maybe that's his internal red numbness taking over. So it's kind of a different angle in that. Yeah. He's yeah. it's happening to him too. It's happening to her brother too. Right. I mean, her brother right. who's like, he didn't get to leave home and follow his dreams. He has to stay home and handle everything. He had to handle everything. And when he makes that phone call to her and he's like, there you are and you're doing, you know, not to give it away for people, but right. you know, after that situation, he had to handle that whole situation. He didn't get yeah. any help from her. So, and, and that's not to say like, you know, oh, have sympathy for these people who are being mean to you. No, it's just understand that when they say shitty things to you, they're telling you about themselves. Hmm. They're not telling you about you. They're saying, I'm having a really hard time right now and I hate myself. And we can certainly choose not to be around them at all, but at least it gets the, at least it then stops um, uh, being a fuel for your own negative thoughts. Like, oh, listen to, yeah, they're probably saying things that are right or whatever, whatever goes on in people's heads, you know? Right. I spoke with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt a few weeks ago about his show, Mr. Corman. He has an underlying theme of anxiety issues and, and yours has got kind of this, you know, negative self-talk and some of those things we've mentioned. 
It's really interesting. I'm curious what kind of conversations you've had about the film now, because I would assume everyone kind of sees it a different way, depending on if you're more like uh, Violet or if you're more like Lila or where you fit in the spectrum. So what have some of your conversations been like for those who are really like the main character or relate really closely to her? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they'll say like, wow, this film is, you know, remarkable. I uh, I haven't seen anything like this before, which is great, you know, for me creatively. Um, but then they say, and this was the whole point of the film, they're like, wow, it really affected me. Um, this is exactly what I'm going through right now. Or, um, uh, oh my God, I didn't realize I was having all these negative thoughts. And this film made me realize that. And, you know, and then, so it's, so by the end of the film, they're like what Violet is at the beginning of the film, right? She's right. like realizing like, uh, I don't like this. I got to get out of it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been very satisfying. You know, like I said, it's the whole point of having made the film is to help people to become themselves, to, you know, to give them a means by which you can get away from making fear-based decisions, to really look at why am I making this fear-based decision? Um, do I, is this worst case scenario really going to happen? Let me just go find out. You know, like at the tire, when she picks up her car from the tire place, let me find out. I'm going to find out. And that's like a big, that's a big thing. If you do it in some small way and then your worst case scenario doesn't happen, then you realize like, wait a minute, when, what other places in my life is this not true? How many curtains have I not pulled back? Cause I've been told that there's something bad back there. You know, maybe there's nothing back there. Oh my God, I'm going to live my life. <laughs> Well, tell me a little about, so um, I think when your book Fame came out, I read some blurbs about it that you had spent a lot of time maybe journaling and put that into that book. Was it a similar story for this? Like, how long have you been working on this story? How did it kind of come to be? How much of it is is based on personal and, you know, those type of things? Well, I definitely, you know, uh, did a lot of research for this, for this script, let's say, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, I definitely am a, I'm an expert in getting from a fear-based life to an instinct-based life in the ways that I did. You know, like I said, there's, there's many ways to do it, I'm sure, but I know this way works. Um, and yeah, in fame, I mean, you know, you could really take fame and then my second book, Face, which is about women's faces getting older and why that makes people angry. And then this film, it's, it's, a, it's a good trio because it, it really is all about, you know, like faces, um, you know, if you if you're saying to yourself like, uh, oh no, my face looks older, and then therefore, like, what's that fill in the blank? And then therefore, what fear is it? Uh, I'm never going to work again, or I'm not going to get a maid, or I'm not going to, you know. And then deal with that fear before you cut your face. You can cut your face later if you want, but don't keep dragging that fear around. And you know, Violet is a more generally speaking, you know, that's specifically about like a woman's aging face. But Violet is more generally about like everything in your life, you know, what are you wanting to do, you know, and then, and then fame um, is about, you know, that too is about like making decisions because I want to make sure this will happen or that will happen out of fear. So yeah, the, the, the three projects um, do have a commonality. They are kind of a trio. How, how difficult was it to get this film made like a, does some of your transition to writing and directing, is it based on the time period or is it more all your personal decision to like, this is the time to write and direct? Or I know your brother recently started directing more so as well. Like what are some of the reasons that 
made this the right time for this project? Um, I wish I could answer that question. I mean, I'd wanted to direct since I was 19, but, but yeah, the timing never felt right. And, and, uh, I don't know in 2017, after I graduated from, uh, UCLA, uh, I, I had a computer science and digital media management degree and thought I was going to go in that, you know, direction as an executive. But then I realized like, oh, I'm supposed to do my projects now. Oh, the timing for directing is here, you know? And then I was like, great. And then I just like start running as fast as I can in that direction. Um, Cause I have a lot of scripts that I want to shoot. Um, so I don't know exactly why. I just know that the timing started and I couldn't force it into happening before that. And I don't exactly know why. I, I guess there are components that were necessary kind of out in society or out in the world that I didn't know about or, and don't have control over. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's, I, I just know. And thankfully feel like I have a, a sense inside of when the timing is right or not. Mm. Um, and the hardest thing is when I know the timing isn't right yet for whatever it is, having the patience to wait. Um, and yeah, getting the money together. I mean, that's a whole other script. It, it, it became this carousel of crazy, like the people I would meet. I mean, there were some meetings I took where I wanted to leave that meeting almost immediately upon arrival because it was just so strange. And yet the writer in me is like, you stay here for as long as humanly possible. Note what's on the desk. Note what's hanging on the wall behind this guy's desk. Note what's going on behind you. Note what's going on in, in the hall outside the door. You know, just like take notes because this is this is a weird situation, and you're gonna want to you're gonna want to put it in a scene. What was your actual writing process like? Because you've mentioned that you're um, kind of coming in from maybe a, an author perspective in some ways. You also did some collages. Like, do you have lookbooks when you present something like this, or how do you mm -hmm. kind of present the look and feel of a story like this? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, the writing process for me is is I let things bake for a long time. And then I, I wait for the timing to kind of take it out of the oven and write it down. And then I'm able to write very quickly. And I usually don't do drafts. I just like, that's the script. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might, I'll go back in and kind of come through it, but I don't go back in and like readjust everything. I'll, I'll let it bake. I'll write the outline. I'll make sure all the beats work. I'm tracking everybody in that outline. And then, and then boom, write the script and the script's the script. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I really like to, um, it's important to do the lookbook, especially for this one, because it was my first film. You know, it's not like somebody could, I mean, they could look at my shorts, but they couldn't look at, you know, my other four features and look at the, you know, what the film was going to look like. Also, if you're doing something different than what you've done before, you, you really do need to show them what you're going to be, what the feel is going to be. And I'd seen other lookbooks where people had taken bits and pieces of other films and and glued them together and I found that really disorienting you know it's like wait is Kate Winslet in this film you know it's just like it's pieces from a bunch of different films so what I like to do is just take um reference photos of moods feels not from other films um maybe some of my own uh shots that I've taken I, I do a lot of photography just because I like it um graphics the music just to all to give that feel and instead of it being like a pdf lookbook that they gotta scroll through i like to put it all in video so that they can just hit play and let's let it happen you know even if it's just all stills 
Um, and then I put like, you know, um, locations, types of locations I'm thinking about, types of actors I'm thinking about. But yeah, the beginning is like very short, like generally what's this about? This is the mood and feel and vibe. Maybe a little bit of footage when, I, when I'm talking about um, uh, visually what the look is gonna be. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's it's important to have those um, pieces so that they, the script is the, uh, the blueprints, but then you wanna kind of give them a feel for what the house is gonna look like when you build it. Right. What were some of your first conversations with Olivia Munn like? Cause she, she's really carrying this whole thing. I mean, we see Luke Bracey a bit, uh, obviously Thoreau's doing the voiceover, but every character in this is really just for her to interact with for the most part. Like tell me a little bit about how, how you guys talked about the character together. Yeah, um, I, when I'm casting, I really like to look at a, a video from, you know, their work, their interviews, their social media to, to see what elements are, to see if they have the elements that are um, uh, right for the character that are either obvious or subtle, um, subtle ones I can tease out. And I, I saw, you know, a few elements in Olivia that I thought were really right for the part uh, that I wanted to tease out and expand. And uh, she just really gave herself to the part and, uh, and, and it really worked out well. Um, and the whole, and the role too is like, it's not just her performance, it's also the handwriting and also the voice. Like it's this, right. you know, kind of pressure cooker uh, package so that the audience can feel it, you know, mm -hmm. feel what's going on there instead of just watching something that somebody's experiencing themselves. Did you do like longer takes so you'd have a little more to work with, with the voiceovers and some of those things? Like, was there any way that you helped yourself in the editing? Well, the, you mean like the, the one, the one takes the, the, well, like even just like holding it on her longer so you can have time to say different things and like in the editing room. Um, well, let's see. I, I mean, the, the, the longer, like the locked off shots, I mean, those are just like mostly at Red's house where you just have that because it, it helps drive home that stillness that experience that she experiences it in his world you know, in the, the more instinct-based world. Um, and then the longer, uh, I only had, like I said, 50% of what the voice eventually says. I only had 50% of that in the script. So when I added more, yeah, in the edit, we would, we would take uh, longer, uh, we'd hold on her longer so there was room to put what the voice was saying in there. Right, right. Yeah, you're just like extending, you're, you're stealing from, you know, oh, this is while Lila was talking, but it doesn't seem that way because Lila just talked and then it looks like she's just pausing and we hear the voice and then she talks, but you know, just the magic of editing and covering. Right, right. I, yeah, I didn't do, I, 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 don't, I don't like having a lot of coverage. I, um, I, I like to like, that's why I, lo I love locked off shots. I, I, I wanna see how the characters are interacting with each other in the space and everything. Um, and some, I find a lot of cutting sometimes to be really distracting from the experience of yeah. what's happening. Tell me a little about um, Luke's character of Red. Is he the same kind of mindset as Lila? Like, tell me a little bit about how you created this character then I think one point of view is obviously that she's overlooked this great guy all these years because she's so kind of tormented, but tell me about him as a character as well. 
Yeah, I mean that I think in a lot of people's lives, there's there's someone romantically that's like you won't let yourself even look at because you think you're supposed to be with a certain type. And you're like, well, he doesn't fit that type or she doesn't fit that type. And then eventually maybe you come around or or maybe it never happens. Maybe years later, you're like, God, you know, why didn't I ever talk to Brandy? I mean, she seemed just right, you know. Um, but um, yeah, and he also represents that person. Yeah, Lila too, but but more so Red represents that person who's living an instinct-based life. He's like, you know, if somebody said like, let's go to Bali tonight, he'd be like, yeah, I don't have anything on my schedule tomorrow, you know? Instead of like, oh no, I don't know if I can, I gotta, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, you know, and worry about things. And um, also he's, it, you know, the two ends of, of the visual light spectrum for humans is, you know, red is at one end and violet's at the other. And so she has to go from where she is to where he is, you know, by the end. Right. Um, I think we're coming up on time. Tell me about, is there any advice you wish you had? I know you've made some shorts, but if you could go back to when you started this project, any advice as a writer or director you wish you had before you went into your first feature? Uh, I wish I'd had a, well, I don't know. I, I, I learned a lot from it, so that's okay. But uh, I wish I'd had a music supervisor and a post-production supervisor because <laughs> I wound up doing those things myself. Um, but I learned a lot, so that's great. Um, yeah, I guess there's, there's people I know I want to bring into the mix earlier now. Like I want to bring like the post house in earlier in the process. I want to bring the, um, the marketing gurus in earlier in the process. Um, but you know, that's just as a, as a producer, I guess, but no, I think as a director, like it's really important, uh, choosing your department heads super important because everyone they hire is going to be like them so if you've chosen department heads that have the same work ethic as you and creatively they're correct for this role for this job then then that's great then they're going to bring a bunch of people in that are like them and and you're going to have a harmonious set um but i knew that before and it really proved itself out so that was good Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.